Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1290 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And today's podcast is myself and Josh Lloyd, who is on the same podcast network that I am, the Lots on Podcast Network. Josh is, for my money, the best fantasy basketball analyst in the business. I do mean that sincerely. He is very smart. And even beyond the fantasy world, Josh is very smart. NBA draft stuff, just overall league analysis, et cetera. And it was a good time to get, on, get him on the podcast. As uh, stuff is sort of ramping up at this point, I know it's a little bit early for all of this at, at this stage, but there is plenty to get to on the Hawks roster in terms of changes, how they might impact fantasy and also impact stuff on the floor. AJ Griffin talk, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, et cetera, et cetera. All of that coming up on the podcast with Josh and also Mike annual or daily i should say pretty much plea to subscribe to the podcast we are now into the doldrums of august i do understand that but i'm going to be delivering content as much as humanly possible and i try to get that out there for you guys so please subscribe to the show across platforms spotify apple podcasts stitcher podbean of course youtube on the video side also follow the show on twitter at lockdown hawks follow me on twitter at bt roland and after you hear the intro to myself and josh lloyd talking all things hawks you are locked on hawks your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined now by one of the best in the business. Josh Lloyd is here from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and all kinds of other things. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Brad, it's, uh, it's good to be back on. It's my pleasure. Uh, listen, I was uh, thinking about things to do as we uh, as we all do this time of year. It's early August, and I'm thinking, you know, before Josh gets buried in requests, talking about fantasy and all kinds of stuff later on, I think we get out in front of this thing. I know you probably are not in f- full midseason form just yet on, on, on fantasy. It never ends for you, though, as I'm sure. No, it, uh, there is there is some slow periods, and so this is actually a little bit of a dead period. In fact, what I'm doing on my show at the moment, I'm doing a fake expansion draft. So just to, <laughs> just to bridge as we head into August and then things start to ramp up. But uh yeah, there is always something going on this uh, at the moment. There's just a lot less of something at the moment in the NBA. Definitely, we're all, we're all in that period now. August is like the one month where just nothing generally happens. Of course, unless KD if KD gets traded, yeah, then we'll have to break into what do we break into? But uh, I want to ask you about what the Hawks have done, and then we can sort of get to fantasy stuff too. Because I know I, I always stress this. I'm sure you do as well. You're not only a fantasy analyst, Josh. You actually watch basketball. You don't just do the numbers. Like you actually oh, that's, about basketball. That is that is true. <laughs> Amazingly, my job does entail watching basketball uh, every single day of the season and every single team that I've got to watch. Uh, yeah, over the period of that time. So yeah, I do watch a, a ton of basketball and and try and keep abreast of everything going on in the NBA as well as the fantasy side of things. Yeah, you're juggling a lot. Uh, I guess I'll start with the the headline event of the Hawks in the last couple of months, and that is the DeJounte Murray acquisition. You know, we've covered that on all sides at this point in time, but I, I found talking to people online, offline, um, especially people that cover the whole league, there's a lot of varying opinions on what they paid for him, how it's going to work with Trey. What's sort of your opinion on how that might all work? Because I think we all agree he's a good player, but uh, beyond that, there's some differences in uh, how people view this thing. Yeah, we do agree that he's a good player, but... The thing that I have with DeJounte Murray is I feel that, and you would have had this, you know, talking to people and interacting online, is that there is a significant level, I think, of overrating happening with him. And he had a great season last season. There's no doubt about that. But he did it for one year on a team that had torn everything down and said, you are just going to do everything. 
like DeMar Rosen had gone. They got nowhere with him being that number one guy. He had a career best in assists. His usage went through the roof. His efficiency somehow went up while his usage went up. His steal rate was at a career high as well. And while we can all look at that and go, well, he's just going to continue to do those things. He's going to be great. Like not necessarily like when he played with other guys who had the ball in their hand or needed the ball in their hand, he was fine. He was nowhere near the all-star level like that he was. And even last year, he was really fringe all-star and got in as an injury replacement. But two years ago, he was nowhere near that level. So while it's not, it's not impossible that he continues to play at a similar level to last season. I wouldn't be surprised if in a different ecosystem where there are other guys like Trey, who are significantly better than anyone he played with last season, but even like Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, these guys might all be better than the second or third or fourth best players on the Spurs last season. So how he fits in there, I've got no idea. It's not a fait accompli that he comes in and goes, right, I'm bang, I'm the second all-star here. Uh, And how that fits with Trey, I still have a lot of questions. Yeah, I think that that is uh, totally reasonable. It's one of those things where it's all different ecosystem-wise. And I think the, the leap was real, like you said, like he managed to really improve a lot of his peripheral stuff while taking on more uses. That, that's really hard to do, but yeah. it's, it's still going to be a different role. And he has played with guards, no, but nobody like Trey. It's not like he's only been a point guard his whole, his, his whole time in San Antonio, but never played with a guy like Trey. And I, the way that I kind of been putting it, I wonder if you agree is like, I don't really think you could project him as an all-star like that. That goes in the press release. And I get that. But like, like you said, injury replacement. And I don't think he's a top 25 player in the league. That's what an all-star basically should be around top 25, 30, I don't think he's necessarily there. Maybe he is. Maybe he proves that he is, and this and the leap was all that real. But it was more about the way that he kind of checks all the boxes for the Hawks. And I've said this ad nauseum. I'm sure my listeners are laughing now. But, like, they kept saying over and over again, we want a guy who can handle the ball and also defend at the point of attack. And he's, like, the A-plus version of that guy. Now, there are still questions, the jump shot and all that stuff. But it was more about, like, what he actually brings in terms of a theoretical fit than anything else. I think other than uh, between that and actually being able to call him an all-star, which certainly helps the uh, PR wise. <laughs> yeah. That's the old, uh, that's the, the Kings DeMontis Sabonis trade move. It's uh, yeah, two time all-star DeMontis Sabonis that, yeah, when you're trading away one of your future young all-stars, perhaps in Tyrus Halliburton, but you're right in terms of defensively point of attack. Oh, he's really good. Like he's excellent at that. Like he's a very, very, very good defender. Um, and the Hawks have needed another ball handler, and he fits that bill as well. Now, both him and Trey were top four in assists per game last season, and there's no way that's going to stick. Like, it just yeah. isn't. Like, there's just, you can't have two blokes getting 20 assists combined per game, which is what they basically averaged last season. It just isn't going to happen. And my worry is that some people say, oh, yeah, that's fine. We'll just, yeah, Trey can just play like Steph and he can play off ball. And I go, why would you want to do that? DeJounte Murray is a worse playmaker, a worse passer, a worse shooter than what Trey is. So let's take the ball out of Trey's hands so that DeJounte can run things. That's where defensively, I think it's awesome. Offensively, I'm not really sure because I feel like DeJounte needs the ball in his hands to be successful. But you've got a guy in Trey who, when he had the ball's in his hands, everything runs. And I know it didn't work well in the playoffs against Miami. I know that. And having that secondary options there. But I think in general, if you're the coach and you're sitting there, you go, right, who's going to run things? Is it DeJounte or Trey? If you lean towards DeJounte, I reckon you're doing it wrong most of the time. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that you do want to allow DeJounte to flourish. And that means probably playing Trey a little bit more off the ball than he ever has before. They've all kind of yep. acknowledged that. But I am I'm totally on, on board with what you're saying. Like I've kind of stressed this too. Like you don't want to make Trey an off-ball player. You want to sprinkle that in. You want to have him be able to do that. He's the guy who can shoot of the two at a high level. We kind of already know that. But the worst thing you could possibly do is not run pick and roll with Trey Young. That's what he's arguably 
maybe the best in the league at, one of the two or three best in the yeah. league at. He's incredible at that. And you can't take the ball out of his hands. And I haven't thought about the assist thing, actually, but you're right. I mean, this is probably the first time in a while I've not picked Trey to be like maybe a, a dark horse assist leader because I think that he's probably going to have a little bit less assists, you would imagine. And But especially Murray. Like, Murray's not going to average not, not his game yet. There's no way that's happening. There's no chance. Like if he's under, if he's under six, I'd be more surprised at him be over nine than him under six because I just, I just go back and look at all his past seasons. Like he wasn't ever that guy until he became literally the only option for them, and then he was producing those numbers. So it is going to be really intriguing as to how they do that. And basically, what you're doing, I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit, a little bit later. But you want someone to come in and fill the Kevin Herter role on this team. Like someone's going to have to drop usage and drop ball handling and drop touches. And do you want Trey Young to be Kevin Herter? Or do you want DeJounte Murray to be Kevin Herter? And then if you put DeJounte, that's the, the problem. It's going to be really tr- tricky here for Nate McMillan is if you make DeJounte Murray in the Kevin Herter role, he can't shoot. Like he's not that level of shooter. And if you put Trey Young in the in the Kevin Herter role, then he's just not going to touch the ball enough. So the offensive fit is is strange and it's going to take a lot of massaging of, of guys around there. Because it's not like you're... Um, the Hawks are bereft with other offensive options like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was yeah, awesome again towards the end of last season, depending on the health of his knee. But like, is, is he just not going to like, you know, I oh, will stagger DeJounte and he comes off the bench. Okay. So does Bogdanovich never get to shoot anymore? Like how, how does it all work? It is a really, really tricky question. Josh, you're a pro. That's a great tease for what we'll be, we'll be talking about in a second. But first, before we get to that, it worked from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline. At BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check on all of your sports betting needs. Find all of these favorite sports and events that you have at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. With a ton of future-facing action on the site with football season fast approaching, of course, NBA future odds still firmly in play and much more. Find reviews and news for all of the leagues that you are interested in. That includes MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, rugby, entertainment bets, and much more. And BetOnline also is a top resource for all the wagering beyond that. That includes live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, as well as casino games, poker, and all the other ways that you might have to get on the action this year and always, honestly. Head about online right now today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world. Bet online where the game starts. Josh, you're talking about Kevin Herter. Obviously, I'm going to ask you about that deal, but also just kind of the before we move off of Murray and Trey and all that stuff as well. It's kind of all intertwined, but there's already a debate happening, and it shouldn't be a debate. I think that you'll probably side with me here, but it feels like the most clear stagger situation in the history of the world. Like they, they, they almost have to try. They have to stagger Murray and Trey, if only yep. because Murray's going to want some on-ball usage, obviously, and they don't have anybody else behind them. Like I like Aaron Holiday. He's more of an off-ball player, though, despite despite being six feet tall. Not necessarily a run the offense kind of guy. Does that sound right to you? It feels like there probably needs to be 12, 15 minutes a game where it's the Murray show on offense. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be this, those twelve minutes. So your Trey plays his thirty five thirty six, and Murray plays twelve thirteen as the primary point guard. Aaron Holiday plays zero minutes would be ideal. I, I would I would expect like you've got other guys who can fill in that role. I think ahead of him, I think he's probably more realistically an eleventh or twelfth man yeah. um, on this squad. Um, but yeah, look, it has to be that stagger. Now you would know probably you know, more accurately than me. Like is is Nate McMillan in the Doc Rivers school of like hockey subs, or is he going to be able to stagger that? Has that been a problem in the past for the Hawks? Yeah. I mean, he's not quite to Doc's level, but Nate has been, uh, let's say more eager than I would be to run full bench units in the past. Now I think maybe one of the things that Travis Schlenk is doing here is not letting him do that by having this roster, but also Nate coached Aaron holiday in Indiana. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Yeah. It's one of those, I have a little bit of concern 
uh, not, not a ton. Like I'm, I'm trying to ask, but you know, it's, it's August. They're not trying to answer these questions just yet, but I'm like, guys, they're, they're going to do this, right? They're not going to not going to stagger these guys. They have to, it's so obvious. They have to do it. It is the most, it's the most obvious situation in the entire NBA. And if it doesn't happen, there's going to be, um, I, I won't be pretty, I won't be happy about it. I'm sure you won't be happy about I'll it. Be, but I'll it is, be yelling about it on the podcast. Like I'm almost, is, almost surely. I don't think you can make, I don't know how you can make that mistake, but I've seen Doc Rivers do it before. So it is possible. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, and that's why, you know, it, it is very obvious. We agree on that. People ask me and I said, look, I, I think they're going to stagger these guys and there's no reason that why they wouldn't, but I just, you know, had that little bit of an inkling deep in my head. And I, I agree with you on Aaron. I, I kind of like Aaron holiday, but he's a guy that if you are fully healthy, he probably shouldn't play in the rotation on this team. Yeah. I think he's, he's a good emergency guy. It's a good signing. It's a one-year minimum, all that stuff, but all that, all that to say, um, you, you brought up Kevin Herter. I want to get to that too. Cause like, not only did they trade him and that's a loss. I mean, they, that was a deal that had some money implications. It had some future pick implications, but they got worse in that trade. Even as one of the bigger Justin holiday fans in the world, I think that I am, I, I like Justin holiday, but he's not as good as Kevin Herter and they lose a lot on offense. Now defensively, they get better in that deal. Holiday is good. I think Herter is underrated defensively, but holiday is better. But like you mentioned it, like there's that secondary usage and like part of it's going to go to Murray, but what happens beyond that? Because they don't really have, I mean, Bogey is, I guess the other logical option to, he's more of a shot creator than a passer at this point. What did you make of the way that all shook out besides just kind of giving it all to Murray? Well, it's an interesting one with Herder because I think, I think the Kings overpaid by giving a first round pick for him and considering what they did with what their roster looks like, like, like there's a legitimate argument that Herder and Monk and Mitchell and Fox, like how do they all fit minutes in? Like, I don't get yeah. why the Kings are giving up a first, a first round pick to get Kevin Herter. But, and I also look at the Hawks who signed to that extension. And I feel like almost as soon as they did, they were like, Oh, is there a way we can get out of this? And getting a first round pick, they probably didn't have any other offers there, but you're right. Like getting an asset that you can't use this season when you've actually gone all in and given away future first round picks, like it makes you worse, but is that recouping some of the DeJounte Murray cost by getting one of those first round picks back? And you don't have necessarily that ready replacement because Herder's a really good shooter. A guy that, as you said, is not a terrible defender. He's not a great one. He's not terrible. Yeah. And he can pass and he can handle the ball. And yeah, with him and Bogdanovich running that second unit and starting at times, depending on health of other players, yeah, there were a lot of success with that. So it is an interesting one. It definitely makes them worse in the short term, but I feel like there's definitely a an aspect of this where it's trying to recoup some of the Murray loss from the, the trades and the fact that maybe they thought he was a little bit overpaid, even though that's what they needed to do to retain him initially. Yeah, I think that they were large okay with the deal, but as you well know, you know, luxury tax stuff happens and whether we want it to or not, um, I think they were looking more of the long-term money and they were like, we're going to have to trade somebody. And that was the deal that was presented to them. I think obviously they wanted to trade Collins at some level that Collins yeah. is very available, but they're also, they were also asking full price for Collins, which is why he's still on the roster. They, they haven't got their price met there. But um, yeah, I think the Kings deal, and I said this at the time too, like if that, if that pick becomes a first round pick, it's it's a good value for the Hawks. It's totally fine. There's a little bit of risk because it's the Kings that it actually never it actually never does. There's protections yeah. on it. It could become a second. If, if that's only a second round pick, the value is not fantastic. But if you, if you if you actually get a first rounder and Justin Holiday for Kevin Herter, that's a good trade, even if it makes you worse. And I think that it's just one of those weird things because I'm looking at a world where let's say Bogdanovich has a delayed start because he's not guaranteed to be 100 percent healthy at the beginning of the season. They really need no. him. Like they really really need him without Kevin Herter because. Holiday can shoot, but he's a pure catch and shoot, like no creation kind of guy. After that, it's like 
AJ Griffin. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is the three, but he'll be playing some four. They don't have a lot of like dead eye shooting on the perimeter at this point in time, other than Trey and Bogey if he's healthy. Yeah, and, and losing Gallinari and Herda, like two yep. your two shooters off the bench is an issue. And I'd be yeah, who, who knows? But I'd be pretty skeptical that a bloke like Bogdanovich coming off knee surgery after having multiple knee injuries over the last two years is going to be ready or at full health by the time. Like, when did he have the surgery in May? Like, it wasn't that long ago. Um, yep. And I'm not I'm not confident that you know, when you cut open someone's knee, it's whatever the timeline they give, I'm always going to go, all right, what's the later end of that? Then add a couple of weeks, maybe a month onto the end of it because it's just, it's not likely that you're going to be back. I wouldn't expect um, right on that timeline. So if they say training camp, I'm going to say, no, thank you. I probably expect start of November. And that does make it a little bit iffy. And you talk about, you know, they wanted to train John Collins. A part of the issue there, I think with the, the Collins stuff is that maybe you know, trading him or they want to get off either him or Herder. And maybe that's me I don't know, imagining what, what they're trying to do in that front office. No, I, I think you're right. <laughs> but they, they, they want to get off one of them, right? But if they move on from Herder, they have Bogdanovich and they have DeJounte Murray coming into a place. If Collins goes, there is like who? Like who's replacing him? It has to be that someone is... to get back in a trade and it probably wouldn't be anywhere near as good. And the replacement level, there is, it's it's a massive gap between Collins and Jalen Johnson versus um, you know, Herder leaving and then Bogdanovich and Murray taking picking up the slack there. And that's maybe part of it as well. Oh, I totally agree. I think that's a very, it's a very clear way to put it in that sort of plain terms is like they could afford to win. Cause listen, they're, they're in win now, but whether they should be or not, different question. They, there's clearly pressure from the top. They want to win now. And that's one of the reasons, if not the biggest reason they've not traded John Collins is that, they have to get someone back to play the four. And I've been trying to stress this over and over again. I know it's about there in the league, but I like Jalen Johnson a lot. They, they couldn't roll with Jalen Johnson as their starting power forward this year and try no to and say, and say with a straight face that they're trying to win. So like it, it just limits your options. If you're, if you're like, for instance, my, there was a, a little rumbling about Miami and Collins last week. They have nothing to offer them at the four. Like that, 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 that it can't work because the Hawks want to win. And if they didn't want to win, it'd be easy to trade John Collins. They could just flip him for yeah. whatever they can get and call it in. But yeah, no, I, I think that's part of the herder thing as well is that they had bogey. And again, we're hoping that bogey is healthy and ready to go, but they have options there in the way they, did, that they just don't have with, with Collins. And I want to ask you about like kind of putting this all together on offense. You know, it's possible. It's, it's going to sound weird. I think Hawks fans have not loved this when I brought it up, but you know, they add this all-star guard in quotation marks. How do you want to put that with, De- with DeJounte Murray? It's possible they're worse on offense now as a roster because oh, yeah. basically when we when you when you lose Kevin Herter and Gallinari and look those guys are not stars they're role they're role players but they're two of your top three shooters maybe top four shooters along with Trey and Bogdanovich and like you didn't really replace them I mean Holiday Holiday replaces Herter in rotation that hurts you on offense Gallinari for all of his defensive foibles is a is a good offensive player still like he has to be guarded all that stuff like is it possible they're just worse on offense at least in the short term. I'd say it's highly likely. Like you're replacing Gallinari with Mo Harkless, maybe, or, or Jalen Johnson in that spot. And as we talked about, like if Dejounte Murray is playing off ball, like how how aggressively do you have to guard him? Like not at all, really. Like he's not that deep. He, do, he doesn't take many threes. Doesn't hit him at that high of a rate. He's not a reliable shooter. I, I would, if they're the same offensively or better, I'd be really, really shocked. I think. Yeah, the the counter that I could come up with is that maybe. Just having Dejounte on the court when Trey isn't will boost that second unit so much that it kind yeah, of offsets true. it. But you're also putting him out there without Gallinari. You're putting him out there with less shooting around him. Um, maybe you can try to stagger Collins and Trey a little bit more, get him on the court with Dejounte. There's ways to get around it, and maybe that maybe that boost really helps them. But like the more I look at it, 
especially if there's any concern with Bogdanovich, the offense just doesn't look as good to me because at center, you also have, you have these two non-shooting centers and I like them both. They're really good defenders, but you have two non-shooters at center that I kind of limit you a little bit on offense. Like the is a great screen setter, all that stuff off the rebounder, but I don't know. It's uh, I'm intrigued by what they do on offense. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, name it Millen, not the most innovative guy in the world. So we'll see. Now, so especially offensively, there can be some, uh, there can be some issues uh, with the way that he runs things. That is for sure. Uh, all right, one more break to hear from our sponsor. We'll come back with more from myself and Josh. All right, Josh, uh, I want to go off the beaten path a little bit here before I sort of ask you some fancy questions. And I know you did a lot of draft work. Um, AJ Griffin did not play summer league, so he's kind of out of sight, out of mind at this point. The Hawks fans are obviously dialed in on what he's going to look like. I've said a lot about him, but uh, what was your evaluation of AJ Griffin as a prospect uh, since nobody's seen him since then? So <laughs> it's all still new information. Yeah, it was much higher than 16. Um, I had him at times in the top seven, top eight mix. Um, I think I settled on him at around nine, maybe. And with when he was falling, my immediate thought was, okay, well, the medical stuff yep. maybe hasn't hasn't checked out because he had. Look, he did play what 39 games, I think, uh, last season. But he had all those issues through high school with with lower body stuff, and now you didn't play in summer league, but. A six 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 seven wing who I think's got some defensive ability. He's not quite there yet, but yeah, some elite shooting ability, maybe some creation stuff. Like that sort of player should be valued. Like to me, it was baffling that someone like a Johnny Davis went ahead of him. Like I that in no world would that have been a move that I would have made. So to see him slide to sixteen was pretty crazy to me. But again, I don't have access to the medicals. We knew that that was a problem with him, and now we just haven't seen him on the court. So maybe that was actually the issue. Yeah, I think that was part of the reason he fell for sure. And, you know, the Hawks were saying all the right things on the record, off the record, everything about his medicals. And I think it was a, uh, at least from what we know, it's kind of an unrelated, this is kind of a first-time injury. Like he had sort of a sore foot thing. There's no MRI weirdness with it or anything like that. But uh, anytime you have a guy who has some injury questions and he comes out and does not play summer league and they make him day-to-day for two straight weeks, <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, we're going to do the whole thing again. You're kind of just opening the door for questions more than anything else. But I was with you. I mean, he fell way further than he should have in my mind. Um, at the same time, as we try to sort of transition to this year, I'm always this way. I, I want to know what you think, generally speaking. But I, my my guard is always up on rookies, generally, especially for teams that are trying to win, like the Hawks are, that have a veteran head coach that does not like to play rookies a whole lot. We saw Jalen Johnson basically get a DNP for the season last year in similar circumstances. Um, are you thinking about Griffin at all as like more than like a dynasty guy in fantasy? Because I mean, I, there, in theory, there's a path to him playing if Bogey's a little bit banged up, but also he's an 18 year old rookie who hasn't played a lot. So yeah, I don't think he's going to play much this season at all. He might play a little bit um, at, at times, but I think he's going to be given the uh, the Jalen Johnson diet for most of the season. Again, you bring in Aaron Holiday, Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, like, and I knowing Nate McMillan, he's going to prioritize those guys to be the eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh guys uh, on the roster versus Griffin. And Griffin will have um, yeah. So look, if he, he might come out and just blow us away, and because he's exactly what they would need. Like that is you talk about a Kevin Herter replacement. Like that's a Kevin Herter replacement if it works out and. If McMillan trusts him, but you know, I don't, I don't trust that at all. I don't expect <laughs> McMillan to, to, to trust him or to put him out there or even give him those opportunities to show that he should be out there. So I don't expect much from him, but you're right. He's super young. And I think that when we head to next season, then he will be a key part of the rotation. That that's the, that's the hope. That's the idea. And you push him in as one of those reserves. And then we see where he goes from there. But for this season, I honestly, I just, I don't think we're going to see very much of him at all. Yeah, I tend to agree. I maybe in a world where Bogey just you know misses a month or something like that, they just kind of maybe have to try him for just for shooting because they're like we said they're going to have not that much shooting on the perimeter. But I, I think that 
uh, given his defensive foibles. I mean, any any rookie for the most part, other than the yeah. you know the elite guys, are not going to struggle defensively. He was kind of bad in college. Throw that in there. Eighteen years old, Nate McMillan. Uh, I always wanted to ask because we're on the same page in terms of his like prospect evaluation. It's just that rookies are rookies and they may not play a lot. Um, All right. I'm going to ask a couple couple fancy questions before we get out of here. I know know you're uh, prepped and ready as always for these, but um, all right, this is, this is uh, in no order, but uh, who currently do you think is going to present the best value fantasy wise on the Hawks this year? Because, you know, they they have seven or eight guys. They're definitely going to play, but uh, we'll see what, what that looks like. Value wise. Hmm. Yeah. Value wise. It's, it's pretty early. I know it's early. But. Yeah, because look, I'm I'm looking at where this they're currently ranked on both ESPN and Yahoo, and everyone seems to be in about the right spot. Maybe like, well, actually, that's not true because they've got Anyeka Okongwu ranked outside the top 200, so maybe it's him. Hmm. And I'll may I'll throw. I think it's him because last season he was what 137th in limited go. minutes, and I think he plays more, maybe a couple more minutes this season. Is there a world, Brad, where? He is yeah, 24-24 with Clint Capella and they're splitting the minutes. I think it is at least conceivable. I would project that not to happen just because of all the factors in play. Like this coach, Capella's still really good. I mean, it's not Akongwu's fault that Capella's really good. Like I, I as someone who likes Akongwu, I kind of wish he was on a different team in some in some respects. Or I'm not 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 because he wouldn't be in Atlanta. Like I, I I've always loved him. I had him in my top five in that draft and all that stuff, but like is David Millen really going to take minutes away from Capella? Is I don't know. We'll see. And I, I think a popular idea locally, as you might imagine, is like because he's six eight. It's like can he can he play the four? And it's like well, no, not really. No, not 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 with Capella. I mean, nope. you could play him. We could play him with Frank, with Frank Kaminsky if you wanted to. That's their that's their third center. But like, why why are you doing that? You have John Collins on your roster. You don't need to do that. So uh, yeah, we'll I see. Think, I, I think I think he'll play more. Just to answer the question a little bit simpler, he'll play more than he did last year. I don't know how much more. This is going to tie back, and this is you know professional broadcasting, Brad. Tie back to something <laughs> we we talked about earlier on, and we talked about you know the decision between trading Hurd or trading John Collins. Let me frame it a different way to you. If you had the opportunity, what you could trade Capella or Collins, that would save some money. Is a Collins a Kongwu combination better than a Jalen Johnson Capella and then a Kongwu reserve combination? I I kind of think it is. Now I don't know if they would do that, and we get hung up on size so much, but you know. Bam Adebayo is a top five center in the NBA. He's like six nine. Yep. Draymond Green plays tons of center. He's is he six six? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think he's that. <laughs> I don't think he's that big. Um. So when you have the defensive instincts and the rim protection ability that Okongwu has, and the ability to finish at high efficiency, I don't actually care that he's six foot nine. When you're the same, basically the same size as Bam Adebayo, I don't actually care too much. So I think if we're looking at you know positive EV in terms of hey, do I trade Collins or Capella? I can trade Capella and maybe I drop a little bit by putting a Kongwu as the starting center because there are a million backup centers out there. Like Hassan Whiteside, he's not good, but if you put him out there for 15 minutes in a backup role, it actually, it's not bad, right? Versus what I'm going to, who the hell is my four? Like I'm going to dust off LaMarcus Aldridge to come in and play or Blake Griffin or Paul Millsap. It's so hard to find a four. So it, what, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I've said this before, but I think that Capella almost, was too good. Like they didn't realize how good he was when they mm. got him. I don't think, or maybe he, you know, when, when they traded for him, he was hurt. He was hurt. And he was so good, especially two years ago that he kind of just like made it impossible to move him. Not, not impossible, but in their minds, they just, I think the, the plan was never to have a Kong still be the backup center in year three. That was never the plan. I can tell you that with very, very high confidence. Like you don't draft a guy at six and have him be a one position backup in his third year when he's good. That's the thing. He's proven to be good already. Like, that's not the plan. But I think Capello was just so good, and Trey likes him, and 
it's worked so well. But no, I think in theory, you're making 100% sense. I think I talked about it a lot last year, year and a half. On paper, the move was always to trade Capella because it was like, okay, you have this guy in a Kongwu who you obviously love. For whatever reason, either they either didn't get value for him, uh, they gave him the extension, which maybe made it a little bit harder to trade him. There's different things of why, why they haven't done it. But no, I think you're not crazy at all. Even as a, a very big Capella fan as I am, I think that the Kongwu, you know, naturally speaking, just big picture wise, like it does make sense to go ahead and move on for Capella. They just haven't done it. Yeah. Sorry to de- derail the, uh, the no, segment on, on fantasy, here, but uh, I think uh, I think yeah, Kongwu at outside the top two hundred, like when he was a top hundred, yeah, top, he was a rosterable player in standard leagues, top one hundred and fifty guy, and and there is, I don't think he's going backwards from where he was last season. I think that represents probably the most value because everyone else, yeah, Trey's probably too high, Dejounte on ESPN is too high, um, yeah, Clint Capella's probably ranked too high, Bogdanovich with the uncertainty is probably too high, so there's not a huge amount of value with these guys. Yeah, I think a column makes makes a ton of sense, and uh, especially you know, this is not you can't bank on this, but if they were to let's say have a rough start to the season and kind of maybe look to sell Capella midseason, or if you get a Capella injury, suddenly a Kongwu zooms up the board because like oh, yeah. like again, he's he's already proven to be a good player in a way that a lot of guys in that role have not. Um, so the opportunity might be there. And Capella's had those Achilles problems for like yep. two years. And yeah, every, every season it feels like we head into preseason start of the year. It's like, oh, Capella can't play. He's got Achilles soon. And you go, what's going on here? And then he's out there and he struggles at times and he, he builds it up as he goes along. But yeah, when you're a big man and you're he's over 28 now and you're having persistent Achilles and heel and ankle issues, I wouldn't say that's a great sign. No, and at that age, anything can kind of happen, especially when you have those issues, like you said. Um, like I haven't asked you about yet at all. So if you can take this wherever you want to, fantasy or otherwise – where are you on the DeAndre Hunter thing at this point? Because I think it's kind of – and what conversation I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same way with you. Like, he's a pretty obvious X factor on this roster, pro or con, uh, depending on what you want to see. Last year it was not great necessarily, but they're invested in him, and he is the guy at the three, for better or worse. So, like, where are you at on the on DeAndre Hunter experience as he uh, enters year four? Um, I didn't love him as a, as a prospect coming in. Um, I didn't really love him as a rookie. He had that, what, 10, 12 game run at the start of his second year where his usage and his efficiency went absolutely through the roof, but that's like, yeah, a three week sample or whatever it is. He was really quite poor last season. And a lot of the issues I had with him is like inability to create, um, be a defensive playmaker. Like he can guard one-on-one, but doesn't generate stats that way. The shooting staff has, again, had that little stretch of being good and then was bad for an unbelievably long period of time last season. Doesn't rebound, doesn't get assists. I don't, like prototypically, yeah. Like we love a wing that can defend, but I feel like he's taking so much off the table and injuries haven't helped. Clearly he's missed basically, you know, well, you know, one full season over the last two the last two years with the injuries in year two and year three. But it all ties into the way I viewed him coming out as a prospect, that lack of defensive playmaking, the lack of shooting efficiency, the lack of creation for himself and others and low rebound rate. And it doesn't really change that much outside of the beginning of the 2020-2021 season for that you know, couple-of-week period where he was unbelievable and then hasn't really seen that happen again. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. This is more of a question for almost for me, but for like fantasy, fantasy wise, for a guy that like, you know, he's had some injury issues for sure. He's not always been the most durable, but you also know when he when he's gonna when he's gonna be healthy, he's gonna play a lot. He's their guy. Um, is he? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I honestly don't even know where he's supposed to be fantasy wise, but like, he's a low rebound guy, low assist guy. He's not like a huge stock guy. Like, what's the value? And like, he make, he makes threes. It doesn't take a lot of them though. So like, what's his kind of fantasy projection in your mind? 
Okay, so I'll ask you this question before I answer it. Where do you think he ranked last season for fantasy on, on a per-game per basis, so not even including per games game, played? I can't imagine it was very high. I mean, the only his only real benefits fantasy-wise last year were a decent amount of points, and he shot accurately from three. But if you're in a league that reward three-point volume, that wasn't very high. No assist. I mean, outside the top 150, even as a starter. Yeah. Yeah, two hundred and thirty-eight. Like so, he's just miles, miles off being a fantasy contributor. And while I think there'll be some improvement in what he does this season, I don't see him becoming a rebounder, an assist guy, a steals guy, a blocks guy, a high free throw volume guy. Especially again, when when you look at the offensive situation of the starting five, he's the fourth best offensive guy. He's going to be the fourth in the pecking order. And when you pair that with you know, low efficiency and low counting stats, I, I, don't, I don't think I'd bother with him in most fantasy leagues. I just don't see that path for him you know, overtaking Collins or Murray. I, I don't see – he's definitely not overtaking Trey. Like, offensively, he's not doing that. And we've this is three, four years now, like including his years at Virginia, where he just doesn't get steals or blocks. He just doesn't do it. And, you know, banking on that happening, it might happen, sure. Maybe it comes out of nowhere, but that's just, I think, who he is as a player. Yeah, and I uh, this is gonna be funny because I've been running on his rebounding for a long time. He's a he's a bad rebounder for his mm-hmm. for his size. I think he will rebound better than he did last year. <laughs> it's a very small bar jump over. It's not, think, it's not hard. Yeah, I think he averaged close to yeah he averaged almost five per game as a uh, as a sophomore in a small sample size. Last year was like three point three per game. That's so comically bad for a guy his size. Yeah. Um, but I want to just ask about him in general because you know he, he's a big picture non-fantasy like he's a very clear x factor for this team because he's going to play and he's really all they've got there other than justin holiday who's kind of yeah. their backup small forward so um i was just intrigued by that um overall uh i guess i should ask just this very plainly does trey take a hit at all for you with murray or is are you still back on him being a fantasy superstar like how, how good is he supposed to be for you now in fantasy uh i think he's gonna take some sort of a hit it's going to be a, a drop in usage, a drop in assist rate. It's not going to be as large as the drop in usage that Murray and assist rate that Murray cops, but he is going to cop something. And look, Trey was great last season. He was the sixth overall player. Yahoo somehow has him ranked third heading into this season. But two years ago, Trey wasn't that guy. Like when we had the addition of Bogdanovich and the addition of Gallinari, his numbers did suffer. He, he dropped off pretty significantly. We saw his usage drop by four percentage points versus the year before that. Um, his efficiency didn't spike either. So, yeah, he could go from being a player who was sixth last season to like he was 21st the year before that. No reason he doesn't fall back off to that degree where we saw that usage drop and he averaged what 25 points a game in 2020, 2021 versus the 28 that he averaged last season. Like if he went back to 25 with the addition of Murray, I don't think that's a surprising outcome given the way that it happened with Bogdanovich and Gallinari joining the team two seasons ago. So it's not a fait accompli that he's just out there and just doing everything exactly the same. I do expect a drop. How big, I don't know. And I don't think it'll be quite as big as that drop in his um, third season that, that he suffered, but I think we're going to have reduction in numbers from where he was last season. I tend to agree to, you know, just the counting stats. And I do think that his uh, his shooting percentages will not be as low as they were in year three. I agree. Uh, I'm not- I'm not sure they'll be as high as they were last year either. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be a guarantee he shoots 38% from three again. Like, and he's a great shooter, but you know that was the first time in his career that he had done that. That was a real jump for him accuracy-wise from three. I guess the counter would be he might get more open looks and more catch-and-shoot looks this year, so maybe he shoots higher. That's on the table, I guess. Yeah, that that, that argument is gets thrown. And I know it's it's it makes sense from a, you know, look, hey, he's not going to be seeing as many. Like someone told me, I'll try to expect Trey's scoring or, you know, arguing with I expect his scoring to go up this season because you'll get more one-on-one looks with DeJounte. But <laughs> in, 
in general, it just doesn't happen that way. Like, you know, we said, our oh, Kemba Walker, man, when he's on the Hornets, he had to do everything. Now he goes to Boston and all these numbers, all these other attention, and he shot like exactly the same percentage. It's just sometimes who the player is. It doesn't always translate as easily as that. Like when you go, like Russell Westbrook, oh man, look, you're going to have LeBron and Davis taking all this attention. So he's going to get some easy shots and cuts to the basket. Yeah, nah, he's just going to be worse. So it doesn't, well, well, yeah, it might be counterintuitive to think that. It doesn't actually mean that you're going to see this gigantic rise because there's another good player next year. Sometimes that's just who you are and there's season-to-season variance and it doesn't always work that way. In fact, I wouldn't bank on it actually working that way. Yeah, no, I, I, it makes total sense to me. And I think that he... I, I'm, I'm just going to be fascinated by it, honestly. Just like mm. what the role looks like. And I, I hope they don't go away from what makes him him in terms of just running a bunch of stuff. And yep. there's a little bit of fear of, of that on my, on my end. Not that they're going to go away from him entirely, but just that they don't let him do as much of that anymore. I think it might happen, especially early in the season. And I think that might go poorly. And then I think we might go back to gigantic usage, gigantic assist rate. Like, just remember, like, this is a guy that when he came out of college as well, like, had, I think, one of the highest combined usage and assist rates ever, if not if not the highest ever. And yeah. it's been basically the same through the NBA. Like he runs things because he's good at it, not because he's selfish, Like, but that that system works. And I reckon if you go away from that too much and it doesn't work, that it'll quickly revert. Makes total sense. Um, same sort of question the other way. Like what is Murray's projection for you? And obviously last year we talked about it earlier, but he had the giant counting stats. He's not going to do that again. I think we could kind of all agree. He's not going to average what it was like 21, nine and eight or whatever it was last yep. year. But like, what do you expect? I mean, we're all kind of guessing, but what do you expect from him in terms of uh, his, his new situation in fantasy? Yeah, I think it's going to be a significant drop off. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be touching him in the first two rounds. I think he's got more of a chance of finishing outside the top 30 than he does of finishing inside the top 25. Yeah, two years ago, he was like 55th or something along those lines. And yeah, falling back down to that level is not a surprise. Like we expect the assists to drop pretty significantly. I think the scoring is going to dip under 20 pretty easily. And then the other thing is that keeps him high is the rebounds, right? But like he, Yucca Pertle, pretty good rebounder. Keldon Johnson, uh, yeah, he's in the DeAndre Hunter school of rebounding. So <laughs> DeJounte Murray was getting those, but now you got you got John Collins Capella. and Capella out there. Like these are two really good rebounders. So not to say that Murray's going to, it might drop one or two rebounds. So that's still uh, a, a big drop. And then they go, well, his steals will keep him up. But last season was his best steal season ever at two steals. The year before he was at 1.5. And if you lose, what is it? 25% of your steal output. Like that's a gigantic drop in fantasy value. And 1.5 is, and I talk about this on my podcast all the time. 1.5 steals a game is still really, really good. Like it's a, yeah. an unbelievably good number. It's not two, but it's still really good. But that drop from two, which is elite top, you know, four, three in the NBA to 1.5 um, loses a ton of value. I would not want to touch him in the first two rounds, probably not even the third round, to be honest, because I think there's just more ways that it can go wrong in terms of dropping off than it can get better or even stay, you know, 5% less than what it was last season. Yeah, I mean, he averaged 21, 9.2 assists, 8.3 rebounds, and two steals a game. Like, those those are crazy numbers, and he earned – I mean, he, he he racked them up. He, he produced them. Yep. But uh, I think you got to take the under on every single one of those uh, yep. stats. I, absolutely. I think they're all, all going to drop. Yeah, I would I – would and listen, they could all drop. It could still be awesome. It's just that yeah. – uh, when all four of those things happen, I mean, I guess maybe the hope is that he shoots a little bit better from three, but that's a that's a that's a hope. That's a fingers crossed kind of thing. Like you know, we, we've not seen it from him, so yep. uh, no, I tend to agree. Uh, last one, I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Is John Collins? So 
we talked a ton about him. Trade rumor stuff has just been happening forever and ever and ever. And part of, I think, the, the national pushback is that his numbers did decline last year. His scoring numbers went down. And uh, they're way down from where they, where they were three years ago when he was kind of the only role man on the roster. What do you make of him now still in Atlanta? I mean, I'm sure you went through scenarios of him being other places, but now he's back in Atlanta for to start the season. At least it looks like. What kind of fantasy player is John Collins? Because obviously he's still productive and not quite the 21 and 10 guy that he used to be. I don't really see how much changes from last season, to be honest. Like, are they going to pump 35 minutes a game into? Probably not. We've seen them be pretty hesitant to do that. It feels like he's, I'm not say on the outer with Nate McMillan, but he's not as trusted as what he was uh, earlier on in his career. They, the usage isn't there. We saw so much of his fantasy success, especially uh, in that season where he was like a top 15 player because he played a ton of time at center and now he'll get zero minutes at center. That's when his blocks went up, his rebound rate went up, his field goal percentage went up. All those things drop when you're playing at the four. And the fact that yeah, he won't play 34 minutes a night and beat 20 and 10, I, I don't really see how much changes from what he did last year. He can still be really useful for this team. I guess the hope you have when you draft him is to say that Utah says, like, can we have John Collins? And then he <laughs> like he runs wild and puts up like yeah, huge numbers over there. Look, and he, he becomes a 25 and 13 guy, which is actually completely possible if he was in the right spot problem is that this is definitely not the right spot for him to do that yeah i think the only positive counter i can present would be that i think he might play more than he did last year because gallo is not there to kind of give it's, them it's that very high floor like really you know gallo as a backup four is a really really good thing that a lot of teams don't have i think collins could play a little bit more but you're right about center minutes i think with a con loop getting even more um, they might try him for a few minutes every once in a while at center, but it's going to be mostly four minutes. And um, and listen, when I say play more, I'm thinking maybe like 32 minutes a game rather than 30. It's not going to be a huge jump um, just because of what they have behind them. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. The rebound did go back up last year a little bit more, but uh, I can't see him averaging the uh, the 2010 kind of numbers with this roster. Boring. You know, if Capella went down, I could see him jumping up again. Um, or even if the call went down for any period of time, they might use him as a backup center again and the numbers might go up. But I think if as long as everybody's kind of healthy, you know, 17 and 8, 18 and 8, it's kind of what you're going to get, I think. Yeah, I've got him at like projected at the moment, like 16 and 8. So, yeah, 16, 17 and 80, I think is yeah, probably about the right mark for him. That sounds about right. Um, I think there's not really a sleeper on the Hawks roster, unless it's a Kongu, which we already talked about, because he's probably the only one. Yeah, no, look, unless... John Collins is traded and Jalen Johnson surprises us all and yeah. he's ready to go. Like, but yeah, because Jalen Johnson's got an unbelievably good fantasy game because he can pass, he can rebound, he can block, he can get steals, he can be efficient. Like he is a guy that we really look forward in a couple of years' time. And if he comes out just you know, significantly ahead of where we think he is, and it's like, all right, well, Collins is gone and this guy's gonna play. Um, that'd be the only guy, but yeah, you're not really drafting him expecting that because it's just <laughs> such an unlikely ex- thing that's going to happen that, yeah, you wouldn't want to put any sort of faith in that, but it's, it's one to watch. Cause you know, I, I'd rather watch him than say, watch Mo Harkless. Like I'm not interested in that. I don't think Justin Holloway is going to do anything different to what he's done over the course of his career. Like Frank Kaminsky, like thanks, but no thanks. Like uh, Johnson's <laughs> the on- only one that I care about to, to think that maybe it could happen, but it's just, yeah, what is it, 0.1% of a chance of something really popping off there? I don't really think it's possible this season. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, dynasty-wise or whatever, you could say that if he gets the opportunity, because the, the Julian numbers were crazy good. I've always liked Jalen's game. Um, I, I do wonder if maybe Justin Holiday ends up playing starters minutes if they were to not have Bogdanovich for a while. Maybe he'd be interesting. But even then, he's like kind of the 
not interesting fantasy guy. Oh, like, he, yeah, he does. He just shoots threes like, and that's it. He gets, he gets some steals. He hits some threes. He'll, he'll have like nine points, but that's, yeah, three threes. And then you get like 1.7 <laughs> steals. And much like, you know, DeAndre Hunter, there's no assists, there's no rebounds, there's no nothing, nothing else. There's very, very limited um, excitement levels in, in what he, he provides. So I think there is a chance for more minutes. And he's one of those guys that coaches fall in love with and play probably too much at times. But yeah, the overall output's not particularly great. Makes sense to me. Uh, quickly, before you get out of here, how good are the Hawks this year? Hmm. That's a really good question. I haven't gone through and sort of done my projections on standing. <laughs> I would say that they're probably above the play in where they were last season. Um, yeah, could they crack the top four? I reckon that's probably a stretch. Yeah, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, yeah, pretty, and Miami probably there. Is there a chance they could be better than Miami? Yeah, look, there's a lot of injury concerns in Miami, so maybe I, I would have them in that four to five range. I, w- I would guess at this early stage, without you know trying to think, you know, thinking off the top of my head, without actually sitting down and, and working it out. But that's probably the right area. I don't really see them pushing into that top three. Yeah, that's right. Where I have them too. I know our, our friends at Bell Online had them as the fifth highest over under right now, yeah. especially with the Brooklyn uncertainty. You know, Katie's back in Brooklyn. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're ahead of the Hawks too. But we'll see. Yep. That's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. All right, Josh. Appreciate all the time. What, where can people find you? Because I, uh, I should uh, do a good job plugging you because you were on this network with me, and I, I said it before I brought you. I'm gonna say it with you on the podcast. I think you are the best of the business that, that, that does this on the fantasy side. So uh, plug your stuff everywhere. Well, I host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, so you can find that YouTube and wherever you find podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok now as well, so you can go check it out over there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, Brad, for the uh, for the kind words. You cannot find me on TikTok. For anybody, want, <laughs> everybody wondering, I'm not on TikTok, but you can uh, you, you should follow Josh there if you like TikTok. All right, thank you, sir, for being here. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this show. Check out Locked On Fantasy Basketball and everything that Josh does, and we'll see you all next time.